0: how hard you hit it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving
1: forward to infinity and beyond some people without brains do an awful lot of talking don't they it's classified you talking to me i could tell you but then i'd have to kill you i can't lie. expecto patronum entertainment x you never know what you're gonna get
0: For this episode, I sit down and chat with Alex Grayson. Alex and I go all the way back to SUNY Fredonia college days, and it's been a long time coming having him on my show. Uh, This conversation is wide-ranging. We jump around from fitness to his journey of getting focused in a matter of eight years, and we talk about how he's currently dealing with the situation around us and keeping it positive among so much more. Alex is incredibly articulate and has traveled the world, and the lessons learned there as well are just incredible. So, I hope you enjoy this episode, and keep on keeping on. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back with another episode of Entertainment X. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on the phone is Alex Grayson. Alex!
1: How's it going? Good. Clay, thank you so much for having me.
0: I, you know, it's about time. <laughs> I've been <laughs> doing this thing now over two years, and uh, that is insane. Yeah, time flies, dude. I um, uh, let's just hop right in here. Let's talk about. I want to. We'll just jump right to your situation, um, given the current state of affairs in the country, and the world, with the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, you were on tour with Once on This Island, and I was.
1: What happened? (laughs) Well, uh, I guess it was about March, March 13th, 14th, the, um, we'll say the poop hit the fan. Sure. And, um, I was actually in New York. I had taken leave from the show to attend an audition And uh, the tour was in Vegas and I was in an audition studio. I was waiting for my scheduled audition time. And there were all these updates coming through the news um, with uh, this outbreak of COVID-19 in New York. Uh, It had just gotten really crazy upstate. Uh, I think it was like Westchester County, all these cases came up and it was all in one hospital. And then it it hit New York and it was probably that same day. I might be a little off with these dates, but an usher in a Broadway theater tested positive for the coronavirus. And shortly after that, literally the same day I was auditioning in New York city, they announced that Broadway was shut down. And I was like, "Oh, Oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, and my audition process that day just got delayed and you could see everybody's uh, body language changed around all these other actors and people working as if things are normal. All this information is coming out. And uh, I I actually got a little nervous uh, because I was like, oh, oh my God, am I going to be able to make it out of New York City? I, I kind of catastrophize a little bit and maybe it's because I'm a military brat and I've been raised to be very aware of my surroundings and when a situation is escalating. So I, I finished my audition. It was great. Uh, I changed my flight for that evening and I got right back to Las Vegas uh, because I didn't want to get stuck in New York. I didn't want to have travel cease and, and be stuck there. And we went through the rest of that week of performances and in Vegas they announced that Cirque du Soleil was shutting down all of their productions, which is huge. The, the show does not stop in Vegas, right? Yeah. Oh no, never. So they they shut that down, and for some reason, once on this island, it was still running. Um. So we made it to the Saturday performance. Went in. I noticed in, uh, <laughs> a, a local hire, uh, costume person, seemed to have flu-like symptoms. They were sneezing all over the place, uh, coughing, all this stuff. No gloves, no face coverings, but handling costumes. And I got really nervous. I went through my shows for Saturday, and I got home and I said, I'm not doing the show tomorrow. Sure enough, the next day, Sunday I believe that was March fifteenth. my uh, the principal role that I understudy in once on this island is Papa gay uh, Tamira Gray from American Idol she was playing that role she called out and I was next in line and my stage manager called me I told the stage manager I'm sorry I don't feel I, I'm under the weather not true but uh, yes I was emotionally and spiritually under the weather because It was not in my best interest or anyone's best interest to go do the show that day with the situation escalating. Um, I called out my girlfriend who also (laughs) understudies that same role. She called out. At that point, they tried to get the dance captain to go in and learn this role last minute. No one in the company felt comfortable with that. The show did not go on the show just did not happen. Next day, we all get sent away because our following cities got canceled due to the escalation of COVID-19. Fast forward a week, I'm in Paducah, Kentucky. I get a Zoom call from the producer and the whole company and we find out the whole tour is canceled because it didn't make sense financially to press on with our future dates with the uncertainty of this thing. So as of now, I'm joining the many millions really of Americans who are unemployed. And, you know, it's, it's really tough for artists now because I think we have to shift gears and figure out what's next when nothing is really promised in this current situation. Now, so that's it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you have a background, a very uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it minor, and I don't mean to diminish it. I, I say minor because you are a performer. You have a minor background in um, uh, nursing, so to speak, hospitalizations. Health care. You're familiar. Care, yeah. You're familiar with proper protocols on taking care of yourself to stay healthy. From physical activity, yes. which we'll get to exercise. But also the simple acts of washing hands has <laughs> yeah. you know with that background you can talk about it a little bit if you want. But with that background, has anything in your life changed in terms of hygiene, cleanliness, what you do?
1: Um. Yeah, I think you know. I think I've relaxed into it a little bit more, but I I had a realization that. As people, we've grown really comfortable. We cannot see bacteria and viruses with our eyes. We just, we don't have microscopes as lenses, right? We, we can't see these things. And, yeah. you know, it's just a human nature thing. If we can't touch something, we're not going to behave as if it's there. Um, and unfortunately, that's not the way that this works. And one of the things I when I worked as a nursing assistant in a hospital setting. Uh, One of the things in our training was to pass the test and you're always... Let me clarify. There there was a training portion and I was certified as a nursing assistant. And a big part of it is um, hand washing, wearing gloves, proper disposal of gloves. There's a certain way that you take them off because you're trying not to pass on pathogens, bacteria, because you have sick people that are very close to each other that are very sensitive, and they have um, at-risk immune systems, so you're trying not to spread things. So there's a protocol, and you become very aware of points of contact where you're touching things, so uh, with this current situation escalating, it was like checking back in with all this protocol that I learned that I had to uh, perform on the job. And when I was in training as a nursing assistant, and it's like, okay, now I'm the tester and I got to keep track of, am I doing these things every time I leave the house? So it's, it it is really just like a heightened awareness, reaching a point of heightened awareness and remembering, uh, the way that I used to have it at work. It it is very complicated and important to do when our, uh, Habits are are not to behave that way, so it is it is like ingraining a new ritual. Yeah.
0: Okay. No, I think it's I I do think it's very interesting because a lot of people have you know you see these things online and what where the conversation is like. Well, wash your damn hands. Why didn't you wash your hands? Why don't yeah. people wash their hands? And you think to wash your hands when you leave a hospital, but you don't think to wash your yeah. hands after you know. Handling um, groceries that you've brought in from the grocery store, and it, it's
1: it's complicated. It, I, sorry, not to interrupt you, but it, it is it is fairly complicated, and you know I, I don't want people to feel like they have to be germaphobes. But uh, in this situation where we don't know if we're a carrier, not every person is reacting the same way. Uh, to this thing, your, your personal health might not be at risk, but someone that you come in contact with may have a really bad reaction to this thing. Uh, so, you know, to make sure that we're not carrying these viral cells around, it's like the points of contact, that's a huge thing. And, and what is that? It's like, where, where do we touch things? What are the things that we come in contact with from the outside world? And then once we go beyond, uh, our knowledge of who's been handling something, we have to assume because we we haven't been keeping track of it, we have to assume that something's contaminated if we don't know who is handling it. That's that's just how we have to operate. Uh, because it's like a free radical. <laughs> so it's it's a, it's a little crazy and I think that's like the great thing about staying home during this time is we know we know who's been in our home. If we go outside less there's less Time and energy that we have to spend on figuring out, okay, what did I touch? What has to be thrown away? What has to be cleaned? Whatever. But yeah, this is all online.
0: <laughs> no, I know, I know. It's it's interesting though to get your to get your point of view of it. And how would you say you're holding up in the current situation? Are you making lemonade out of lemons? <laughs> Are you
1: lemonating? I'm, I'm doing my <laughs> I'm I'm doing my best. Yeah, uh, I'm doing my best right now. And I would say that. I definitely feel the pressure as an artist and I don't know about you, but I feel like artists right now are under a lot of pressure to create because like that's, that's what the training says. If we go back to the basics and like the things that we're supposed to be doing, like, okay, I need to be creating content. I need to be writing something. Um, but, and, Uh, I think a really important thing is to realize that uh, from a um, psychological standpoint, right now, we have to really get in touch with the reality that, uh, okay, basic needs, hopefully, if we have those basic needs food and shelter, um, you know, companionship, all that stuff. Uh, there's that self-actualization thing that's at the top of the pyramid that we might have been able to do out in the world as a performer when we got on stage and then we got to see those people at the stage door or someone came to see our show or we got to read our reviews. So now that thing has been taken away. Yeah. And we have to realize that, that that is actually creating some sort of... Uh, Trauma in itself. So I I think that the pressure to create on top of this thing that has been Emotionally and spiritually rewarding for us uh, That that can cause a lot of issues. So um, I I have really been doing a lot of like meditating and Thinking and reflecting on that finding the things that bring me joy exercising and uh, and staying up on current events, you know. Uh, so just really try to get in touch with the things I need to to be emotionally healthy during this time.
0: No, those are those are really great. Those are really great points, and you're absolutely right. You have to be, as we've seen a lot of, you know, you got to be gentle with yourself and your current situation. Definitely. I, I do I do have to clarify when I said lemonading, I used it incorrectly. Lemonating is the act of taking a baseball bat to your significant other's car. So that's not that's <laughs> not accurate. That was not I just meant are you making lemonade out of lemons. I didn't mean lemonading in the urban dictionary um, term. So I just want to say that
1: I haven't done that. Okay, I haven't done that. Yeah,
0: I figured you hadn't, but you're definitely making lemonade out of the lemons. And I think that's the thing that's going to get us through is finding the positives in the negatives. And uh, now that I, I do feel like we've covered that, I wanted to get that as a context because, and some of the listeners know that your our friendship goes back to college. So we've we've been through a lot together we've experienced college yeah. and the real world and what have you i want to go back to the beginning for alex grayson and sure. I'm, I'm curious what your parents taught you about work ethic
1: sure um basically uh i was taught that I am responsible for anything that happens to me. And even if that is not true, uh, there, I think the real message in that is that um, there is a reward in effort. And even if I... The, Even if I get something, if I didn't put the effort in to get that thing, I'm not going to have the reward that I, that I really deserve. So, um, it's just, it's just been a lot of, you know, make sure, make sure that you try. If, if there's something that you're doing that you're, you're not interested in, it's time to change that thing. Uh, because, you know, life is very short. It's, it's very important to know what you're passionate about and, and really put the effort in cultivating that thing. And, and both my parents have been very, very supportive in me pursuing my art. And They they didn't necessarily know that that's what I needed to be doing as a career when I was younger, but uh, when I found that that was something that I could harness and uh, make a career out of, I've had nothing but support, which has been amazing. Um, I also got a lot of spankings when I was younger. I I, I had some issues, (laughs) but but my parents were very, very supportive of that. And, and really really pushing me to put effort into those things that I was passionate about, passionate about.
0: Uh, you mentioned earlier about being an army brat and yeah I, we, some of us maybe now all of us know that takes a lot of travel sometimes uprooting mm-hmm. constantly changing neighborhoods, yeah, yeah, cultures. Uh, what have you learned? about the way in which humans communicate? And how has it opened your eyes to the race of humans across the globe?
1: You know, um, <laughs> I'm really glad that you asked that uh, because it is it is a huge part of my life, being, being moved around, uprooted, living in so many places and Uh, It's been a bit of a blessing and a curse. But I will say that I've learned there is nothing that happens within a vacuum. Um, And as human beings, we are, everyone, we are very, very judgmental. We categorize things. We categorize people by the color of their skin, by the way that they look, their weight, all these things. That's just the way that the brain works. But uh, traveling around has uh, allowed me to develop the, the compassion to understand that I can't rest on any initial judgments that I make about people because it takes a lot of work to delve into all of the factors that make the whole and each community especially traveling each community each culture is different um, the Philippines was a huge one I, I was there for two years I actually started college in the Philippines as an aeronautical engineering student don't ask me how that happened but <laughs> how did uh, that happen I, I <laughs> this is what happens when you're moving around a lot and you have no idea what you're doing with your life. And you're just, you know, you're, you're following your parents. My father was a pilot. He had a job that took him to Asia and, uh, the woman that he was married to at the time, my stepmother, uh, was from the Philippines and she had some family there and I was around the right age to start school. And she had a nephew that was around the same age and you know, why not? I wasn't really questioning things. I was just doing you know. um, But I can say there in my time in the Philippines, which was uh, preceded by a short stint in Mumbai, India, uh, it is, by our standards, the third world. It's a little derogatory. It's It's still considered a developing nation. And the rate of homelessness, if you will, still by our standards, is much higher than the United States for population density and it wouldn't look to you uh, like homelessness here because you basically have a community villages of squatters and people who live in a very very large ecosystem basically on the street and uh, a very very palpable and evident caste system that still exists and even though everyone pretty much looks the same you have a lot of people of Malaysian descent um, and some Spanish heritage and uh, some Chinese influences uh, you, you still can see there are people of darker complexion who spend a lot of time outside who are the poorer class and then you have the much more fair-skinned people who can afford the, the beauty products of the area, which are very focused on skin, lightening, and things like this. It's very, very interesting, very interesting. Um, but the central unifying feature that I experienced through all classes of people that I, I was very connected to because I spent a lot of time outside, and I felt very safe. In the Philippines, and very at home. I think you spent some time there as well. Um, there, there is an idea that we lead with love, and family is important, no matter what our uh, level of financial comfortability is. Reach out to people that are foreigners. I was always, you know, no matter where I go. Hey, Joe, uh, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. Hey, black. Hey, black. That was my favorite one. Um, it's just, uh, it, it's interesting that the unifying feature was you're, you're different. I'm going to welcome you. Come here. That's not really an American mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that was very, very, very interesting to experience there. Um, and I don't know where that comes from uh, but it is uh, it's a very Filipino thing uh, so it's, it's it's just been interesting and I love that my time traveling has really made me care a little bit deeper for people even people that I, I don't really know I, I just find myself having such an interest in in strangers, maybe not talking to them, but, you know, just like, where is this person that's walking down the street in Manhattan going? I wonder what their life is like, uh, which I, I think is really positive for my acting career and my craft. I, I just have such an interest in other people and in collaboration so I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for these experiences through travel that have strengthened that curiosity.
0: How how has yeah. the how has the travel uh, opened your mind to having more patience <laughs> with closed <laughs> closed-minded folks or people who are not maybe thinking so internationally or worldly. Has a gained sure. has it gained you more patience and understanding?
1: You know, or no. I I hate to say it, but <laughs> I I don't I don't think I could classify it as patience. Um, you know, we what we, you choose your battles, correct? Oh yeah. Uh, and there there are certain battles that you can't win, um, and and you have to have to understand like when, when do we get into conflicts with other people when their behavior is a threat to our belief system? I think. Right. If somebody says something to me that goes against something that is at the core of how I live my life, so them's fighting words for me you know, whatever that may, I can't cite an example well, um you know, maybe, maybe something racial, I don't know, or, you know, people, people from the military are like this and I'm gonna hurt you for this reason, I I don't know. I really don't know what it could be, but th- those are the things that start conflicts. And there are some people that just, you know, you can't, you can't really win that battle, but I'd say that I do have an understanding that, that it's, it's an environmental situation that causes that closed-mindedness. Um, but I think, really, it's, it's getting away. It's getting away from home and uh, things that are comfortable and limiting your comfortability limiting your comfortability and traveling to a new environment can, can change your perspective for life. And it definitely has for me. And I just hope, you know, I can't really control it, but I hope that more people will get an opportunity to do that, especially when things open up again. I'm really hoping that the world just hungers for, for travel away from home. I think we need that.
0: Yes, I agree. I think um, I do think getting out and seeing other cultures, I mean, you know, and just talking recently in my travel across the United States, I haven't been to many of the states. It makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. The difference in, uh, you know, where I'm from with New York City and the way in which I think, and then you know, being in the middle of Iowa, it's it's different. Not different bad. Not different good. Just it's a different it's a different life and a different story. And I think it it can, you know, as mind and eye opening as traveling to the Philippines was, you know, going to Iowa is the same effect because you're seeing a culture that's completely different for the circumstance reasons, you know, why just factually what's going on with the uh, environment. So I I love this, I love what you're saying. Thank you for sharing that. I wanna talk about, uh, we met in 2012 roughly And that was at Fredonia State University in New York State. Yes. And Fred works, shout out. And by 2018, you're making your Broadway debut. Yes. Can I connect the dots on that? Yeah. It's a quick amount of time to become focused after, you know, traveling (laughs) and not having a focus. And it happened very quickly. And I'd like you to connect the dots, particularly on the focus you obtained.
1: Yes. Well, I can tell you that um, you are a huge factor in that journey. And it's one of the reasons I'm really excited to be on this show. Uh, Because 2008, I had arrived back in the United States after two years in the Philippines. And I very much didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, because engineering school did not work out. Um, I moved into my father's house, who was living in he was living in Oakfield. And my half-sister was enrolled in the middle school in the same town. So it was cool to be near her. But I, all I really knew to do was, go get a certification in a trade and that's what I did and I, I started as a nursing assistant and then I got my EMS certification and I started working but I, I was really thankful um, to have the church who, uh, I was singing in the Catholic church and in my time singing in the choir I got connected with a family who had kids that were doing community theater and they recommended that I get in touch with that company and get involved in the shows because they needed young men. They always need young men to be in the play or the musical. And I did that. I uh, I think 2000 summer of 2008 or 2009, I did my first musical that was Jesus Christ Superstar. And then I followed up every summer I I would do the show. And a lot of the teens in the show were like, the same age as me, or maybe a year younger, and I was like, you know what? Let me just go to this community college here, um, and and figure out what I'm doing. And I I went to Genesee Community College and enrolled as a general health student because I was already working in the medical field. I figured that made sense. And while I was there, you know, I was like, okay, let me take one fun class because this medical stuff is not fun. I I figured I was gonna be a physical therapist. I took an acting class, my acting teacher really kicked my behind and was super passionate and she inspired me. And that was like enough, just doing a few exercises in class was enough to have the realization that this thing is for me, this performance, I've already been doing this. I've been doing this my whole life. I just didn't know that it was something that I could harness and make a career out of, get paid to do, collaborate with people, uh, have a, a structured opportunity to get the, the reward of um, imagining and creating and all this in, in a package that was actually um, some, something that I could, you know, not weaponize, that's the wrong word, but, but something that I could do and be proud of and, and feel like there was, there was work that I was doing that was affecting people something that felt right, like, um, like a calling. and that's what it was, and, uh, so I, I, stuck with that there, um, and, you know, I finished in two years, and I transferred to Fredonia, and you were, like, the, one of the first people to, like, really reach out to me and be like, hey, you know, what, what's up, I think you're really good, blah, blah, blah. And you um, asked me to be roommates. I think it was our uh, the second semester that I was there, or second year. I can't remember. And I remember you, Clay, being very much like, "Okay, I, you know, this is this is business. This is business. You got to be prepared and do things this way. You know, I'm trying to um, get this role, and I'm making sure that I, you know, properly rehearsed and memorized and." Uh, it's got to be good it's got we're not just doing this it's got to be it's actually got to be of high quality I remember being like damn this guy this guy is serious this this isn't a game I thought this was a game when we were just gonna <laughs> go in here and have fun so uh, it was really nice to be around somebody that was like constantly motivating me and pushing me and we ended up in the same local studio at... Uh, Great voice teacher, Alexander Hurd over there at Fredonia, who changed my mindset about singing and really gave me some tools that have helped me throughout my career. And it was just like one thing led to another, and it was really, really, like, serendipitous. Our meeting and Stella Adler, getting into that Stella Adler program and taking a nap fast, Really shifted the lens for me. to like, okay, this is school. This is a simulation and this is the professional world. And this is, this is how good these people are. And this is how high quality our art can be. If we do the work and we make the effort and do all the research we can do and, uh, know as much as we possibly can about, uh, what's going on in our industry. And, uh, it was just um, it, it was really cool and and honestly I don't know I don't know how soon I would have been able to make it to New York if you had not allowed me to stay at your parents house over the summer so that that was that was a huge huge stroke of luck a blessing in fact uh, that allowed me to have that proximity to New York so it was just like the, the right people at the right time, like I was saying earlier, nothing happens within a vacuum, because it, it you could, I could have just as easily had a series of bad circumstances, um, bad relationships with um, people that were leading me down a bad path that I didn't. And I think it's really interesting in this field and in... in our industry as actors, relationships are really everything. So, Broadway <laughs> was such a crazy thing to me. Cause I made my Broadway debut in a Bronx Hill, right at the tail end of their run. I was there for two months, which was really amazing. I thought the show was going to close, and I'm going to bring it back to you. Because I was at your house, in or your apartment, in Queens. Jelani Remy was there. Uh, Jesse. Jesse, is that his name? Jesse. Jesse? Jesse. Jesse Corbin. Jesse Corbin. Uh, and it was a, Great guy. a Super Bowl party. We were hanging out, and, you know, we're just chatting, chatting, and I think the Lion King had come up. Uh, I had just auditioned for the Lion King, and I had seen... Uh, Bradley Gibson there and uh, Jared Dixon people that are kind of doing the roles that I can do as well we, we, we are always sort of in for the same things and some other people and I was talking about it and Jelani said to me oh Bradley did uh, Bradley's doing Lion King and I had already seen A Blanc's on Broadway and I knew that I had already been in, I don't know, a few months earlier. And I found out, okay, Bradley the Gibson. Wait, I know that he was in that show. If he's going to be in Lion King. That means that there's a vacancy. I have to call my agent. Called my agent. Told him about that. I Next day, I had an appointment for the show. And I had already auditioned, so I knew the choreography, and I was familiar with the team a little bit. And uh, Mary Sugarman was the casting director in the room and she had seen my work and it was like all these things were coming together but I still needed the knowledge that there was a vacancy coming up and with that little bit of communication and that opportunity plus the preparation boom Broadway debut and I was lucky too because there were other people at that audition who were great they were super talented and everything but the missing pieces they just didn't really fit the part. So it was a lucky day for me because there are so many other actors that they could have brought in who could have made their choice just a lot more difficult, but it wasn't that situation. So it, it, it's just a series of crazy opportunities, luck, help along the way. And it, it, when I look back at things, it's, it is a really, uh, wild world of a career that we're in but the constant thing is that that preparation that investigation knowing as much as possible about what's going on it it has to be constant it because we can't really bumble around uh because we'll miss these opportunities and that opportunity broadway could have easily squeaked by without my knowledge but uh i knew the right people i knew you i knew Jelani, I I had this relationship with the Taylor Rubin casting team. Uh, and and this opportunity came out of thin air. Broadway.
0: Or was it thin air?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that was a lot no, it's a lot that's a great that's a great uh recollection of the story, of course, because it's yours. But the idea that <laughs> that everything lines up in a in a particular order for a particular reason and seemingly out of thin air an opportunity arises but there's nothing thin about it it's all so thick with the relationships and the preparation and the understanding and the commitment you know and all of that it's just even your energy was flowing in that direction I think it's incredible that in six years you go from the decision yeah. in almost a decade of you know from uh, 2008 of community theater to sure. to Broadway. That's a quick journey.
1: It is and I, I just want I want to clarify uh, because you might have I'm sure you have some young people that may have not made the move to New York listening to the podcast. And I, I just want to say like we're everybody there, as a young person, coming into the industry you might be very very hungry and that's amazing but a big part of being in New York in the industry is building momentum and that's a lot of things and that's cultivating a lot of relationships and i think that means being being genuine and open and polite to all these people that you meet and, and really having a lot of gratitude for these interactions and relationships and understanding that these, these things grow. The more time you spend around people, these things just blossom into opportunities and uh, pathways that you can't really fathom. But you can lead with with love, uh, positivity, really great work ethic, and positive things will come out of it. And we, you know, it's great to have that hunger, but um, also understand you don't have to be patient. But you have to understand that it is um, it is very much about building the momentum, and to build that momentum, we have to put in that effort. Of showing up and and cultivating those relationships
0: so yes amen to that and I really appreciate you you know taking the time to share this with us because I think it's great to get all of these different journeys some fast some slow some seemingly fast you know some seemingly long it's just really nice to get your perspective on it I want to move on to physical yes. fitness another massive yes. uh, pillar. In the temple of Alex <laughs> yes. Grayson. Uh, yes. What you know the 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 umbrella question is what are your views on it, but also how, where does it sit in your mind mentally? What is what's its level of importance to you?
1: I think it's I think it's really everything for me because uh, the the body is very much who we are, I mean, our soul, our heart, our body, our mind, it is, it is all our body. It's all one thing and it's all those things. Um, And I think that a big thing, especially right now, we're all all stuck in one place, right? We're sheltering in place. So uh, we immediately have to understand, like, the impact that that has on our mental health and how that affects our mood, whether we we refuse to acknowledge it or not. Um, And exercise, believe it or not, causes a chemical reaction in our body that affects our mood. So it's, it's something that you can, it's physical activity that you can do that causes a chemical reaction in our body that changes the chemical composition of what's going on inside of us affects our brain waves, our emotional state, everything. So I think it's very, very, very important. Um, it is a uh, for me personally. It's a it's a meditation. Um, when I go to the gym, I can't go right now, but whenever I go to the gym, I go to a place where really nothing matters for that hour, hour and a half. If I'm really lucky. I'll even stay there for two or three hours, uh, but that time is sacred for me. It's like going to church or going to temple uh, in that I'm there to complete one task, and that task is really taking care of myself and um, strengthening strengthening my this machine that I have um, you know, it's the only one that I have, so I'm I'm taking this time to to really care for that, and uh, especially as a performer. Some people don't believe this, but we are athletes, especially when we get into these eight show a week schedules. This is that's a professional athlete schedule, and yes, if you're if you're a dancer by trade, you you know you can't just show up and dance. It's gonna hurt. Um, There there are things you have to do to keep your body supple and flexible and able to do this choreography. And my biggest thing is I never want to be in pain because of what my job requires me to do. And it it didn't start with this for me. Uh, My dad, I think he took me to the weight room for the first time when I was like 12 years old. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I don't know if he really knew what he was doing, but it, we started the ritual of going and lifting weights. And at the time, I was like, well, yeah, I want, I want to get big muscles or whatever. Because I think that's just like a thing as guys when you're, when you're younger and you're around a lot of people playing sports. Oh, yeah, we got to get strong. We're all lifting weights, whatever. And I, I played um, team sports as well in high school. And, like, that was a thing. It was a cultural thing. And you don't think of the why. It's just something that's being done. And by the time I was in college, it, it, was, it was very much just something that I did. Uh, but as I've really become a full-time performer, I can now... I have such a good sense of my physical state. And... I know when my training and my fitness is consistent, when I'm performing, I feel as if I'm floating. I, I don't feel the, the impact that's, that is not hard. And I don't know how it happened, Clay, but the last three shows that I've done, I've ended up in this like dancer track. That's not how I'm working. myself. So I consider myself an actor first, uh, singer second. I'll do, I love movement. I love it. But I'm not going to dance auditions to dance in the chorus because that's not where my, my training was focused. And it, it, that wasn't my passion, but that seems to be where I'm ending up. Especially once on this island, it was the dancer track. Uh, move all the furniture on stage and then dance your heart out. That That's just what it's become. But, I think this was a great test on this tour of my training leading up to this because I was always in a state of like, okay, now I can analyze exactly what I'm doing in this show, and I know the type of movements because I'm very aware of my body that I'm taking care of constantly. Now I can actually create goals and say, okay, I have a specific amount of, Leaps and jumps in the show so great when I go to the gym. I'm going to work on all these muscle groups and all this flexibility and agility uh, So that when I'm doing the show I can get away from thinking about uh, Making it through this movement and really think about the storytelling thing because I've actually gone ahead of time and Prepared my body for the physical toll that I'm going to be taking for this 90-minute show And I think there's a lot of pressure to look a certain way in this industry. People go to a Broadway show, young actors, they get to New York and they go to a Broadway show and they're like, ah, these these people, they have this Broadway body. Look at them. They're in incredible shape. Uh, The reason that they're in that shape is because the reality of the situation is that it's a professional sport. And I would love to see a change actually in our, our universities and it, because musical theater programs are such a popular thing. I would love a, a, a big shift to the understanding that this is a professional sport and get a get an emphasis off of losing weight to look a certain way and put more of an emphasis on building strength and flexibility so that we can perform these movements and actually feel good and not be in pain when, when we take on the stress of performing in a show eight times a week. So, uh, it's, so fitness is, it's really everything. And it's, it's a philosophy. I had, and this will be the end of this rant, but, uh, (laughs) I had a meeting with the PT on tour I think it was like shortly after we opened. It was actually our, our opening week in Nashville, Tennessee. And T.T., who was doing some dry needling on my knee, and then he was giving me some adjustments in my hips. He asked me how old I was, and I said, well, I'm 30. And he said, okay, well, you're in really good shape. You know, you're um, for an athlete, you're, you're like at the beginning of your decline. And I had never heard that before but it made sense because if we think about like professional sports, uh, like basketball and football, that's a, it's a game of the twenties, the early twenties and late teens. And then you, st- you do sort of see the, the skills fall off in the in thirties and rarely do you see people playing in their forties unless it's golf. And, you know, I kind of took that to heart and it, it's interesting as we get older we are still capable of doing all these things, but our training and our conditioning has to continue to increase and accelerate to not combat, but um, to adjust to the aging process. And I, I just, as an individual, uh, not even as a performer, uh, I just want to continue to, be mobile as long as I can and feel good and strong and healthy. Uh, that's a big thing for me. As, as long as I'm doing what I can to keep my mind and uh, my spirit centered through exercise, I'm very much at peace. And and that's really what it is about. And a side effect of that is, I guess, looking pretty good. That's what people say. So, whatever.
0: Yeah, that's your, again, great points on, on you know, at the university level and the way in which to think about it, to not hold such a visual, you know, account of yourself of, oh, I need to do more sit-ups because I need that toning that I used to have. It's more of, a you know, staying healthy and staying, you know, physically able to move yourself, especially in non-usual ways when you're on the stage or in a sport. Definitely. Uh, are you, definitely. Are you? have you overcome challenges? Are you still overcoming challenges with your physical activity in quarantine?
1: Uh, I am. Um, it is, it, it's definitely a shift because this is the thing. It's a, it's a comfort zone that I'm now outside of. I, I actually have to do more to uh, to reach the the level of uh, physical activity that I would deem as normal for me there's, there's more that I have to do uh, more unconventional exercises or body weight things that I'm not used to doing all the time when I was able to go to the gym I I could just go to my favorite, Machines and go to the bench and go to the squat rack and it's there. It's set up for me I don't have to figure anything out because I I know what I do, but now it's it's more work uh, And it's a process of really thinking about okay What are what are my goals? I have to build this exercise for myself and I need to put this much effort in to create the desired result and I'm very much becoming uh, an architect of my um, <laughs> my wellness during this time so it is it is challenging but then again it's not that hard because i have all sorts of time and so many resources
0: yeah that's what is your what's your main what are your main are you like getting to shoot hoops still I know that was like in college the <laughs> the the, the playtime that wasn't even exercise for you.
1: I, <laughs> unfortunately, no. That uh, there are no none of the public parks are open, and there are no hoops around here, so that's right. pretty much gone on the back burner. Uh, that'll be that'll be a return to civilization activity. That'll be one of my first basketball.
0: As we <laughs> as we uh, wrap up here, I'm I'm curious. Uh, Kindness. Your views on kindness. Do you attribute kindness. that your 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 actions and who you are as a person? Do you attribute that to one person, or uh, people, or events that have kind of cultivated Alex Grayson's kindness?
1: Hmm. I don't. Uh. I, I think that I have learned kindness through, uh, my, my mistakes, um, humility and kindness definitely from mistakes that I've made because I think we have to, to truly be kind, uh, We have to empathize with people. We have to be able to empathize with people. And uh, we have to have self-awareness to some degree of how we are being perceived. So I'm really lucky to have made mistakes in a safe environment to, to come back from those mistakes and understand that, hey things that I that I could do better Uh, (laughs) is there
0: one is there one I won't go into too many details (laughs) well I know and I'm not this isn't you know a gossip tabloidal thing I'm curious is there a particular mistake that proved essential in learning
1: Uh, yes Uh, when I was very very young I believe I was 17 I was traveling, I was in Guam, and one of my first, like, jobs, it's kind of hard to get a job as a as a teenager when you're moving every few months, but we had settled in Guam for a bit, I got a job at the Hilton Hotel as a lifeguard, and I was working beachfront, and I was also working at the pool at this hotel, beautiful, beautiful resort, and there was, like, a horseshoe of a beach and all these hotels along the beach. It was beautiful, warm weather. Um, I was working with adults, uh, guys that were, you know, some of them were well into their 30s, some were in their 40s. I'm pretty sure I was the youngest person there. And I had a rude awakening, actually, because uh, it it was like a grow-up, Fast moment, and I realized that my behavior was not acceptable. And it was it, it was a grown man that I did not really know that well. That was one of my coworkers who literally pulled me aside and said, "You know, hey kid, let me tell you something. You're you're a real jerk, and I really don't appreciate your attitude or any of your. I don't I don't know if you think you're funny or something, but I don't appreciate it. No one appreciates." It here and you're gonna have a rude awakening so there you go uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it was really like a, a shock to my system and it's different it's really different when this comes from an adult that's not your parent in like a foreign environment and and that was it, I, I think it, it took more than that but that's one of the most clear moments where I was like welcome to the real world um you're you're not a grown-up just because you're you're almost 18. it actually it, it takes coming face to face with yourself through someone else's eyes uh, and that was the beginning of of sex and I'm still growing I still do stupid stuff I, I'm sure I still piss people off and like that's you can't please everybody but um, you know we try our best and we try our best to, to be courteous and understanding and, and work with people and, and meet halfway you know um, but uh, that was definitely the beginning of, of openness to other people's perceptions and, and how I'm how I'm being received. Yeah so uh, yeah
0: and how, <laughs> and how far you've come and how far I've come there's so much growth. There's yeah. so much growth. There really is. I, I really appreciate you doing this and taking this deep dive here into a conversation of Thank you. the past, present, and future. I think it's going to be very exciting to see what comes of your life in the fall or the rest of the summer. Yes. It'll just be
1: very interesting. And Yours too. Yours too. This is, this is going to be great when, uh, when things are up and running. Oh, hey. There's so much to create, so much to be had
0: yes 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 just yes um final question word word or phrase you could put on a billboard for millions of people to see is anything come to mind
1: Hmm. (sighs) always be curious
0: and do you find yourself always being, be curious? Being more curious as of late,
1: definitely. Yeah, definitely. And and here's the thing: it's it's very easy to be curious about where where we're going with the current situation. And I found that that's a that's a rabbit hole that I really don't want to travel down because there's there's a lot of unknowns. But at the same time. There's, there's, there's so much else to learn about and discover in this world. It's a world that is uh, growing greener and healthier as we stay inside. Uh, so it's just, uh, I, I think it's a great time to be curious, a great time to have an active imagination and um, explore it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: I love it, and be, I have. A, be I have, curious. I have a feeling many people will become more curious as a result of this. the The time restraints and all the quote unquote excuses we've had on why we can't pursue a passion project are now <laughs> out the window. So. Yes. It's uh, it's, it'll be interesting to say the very least. Alex, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up?
1: Um. No, I, I just. Uh, yeah, well. I said no already, didn't I? Uh, I I hope that yeah. Uh, you know, anybody that's listening to this, um, just understands that as people, we are as people as human beings. We are resilient. We are we are the most resilient thing on this planet. You might even call us a, a virus. We mutate. We, uh,
0: <laughs> yep.
1: we create new things. This this is a new beginning for us. Um, hopefully a new beginning of, of self-awareness of, of how we function in a time of crisis, uh, what we're capable of and what we are incapable of. So I, I just want anyone who's listening to this to be hopeful and have faith that there are many good things to come and there's much more life to be had uh and that's pretty much it clay and i'm very thankful for you i'm very thankful that you had me on the show
0: thank you sir (laughs) ladies and gentlemen boys and girls alex grayson